My guest this week is Rick Lewis, a radio disc jockey on 103.5 The Fox in Denver, Colorado for the past 30 plus years. He is also part of the Lewis and Logan Afternoon Drive program on KOA at 8.50 a.m. and 94.1 FM. On top of all of that, he is the Denver Broncos color commentator during the football season. You'll notice during this conversation, there is a no fear theme that runs throughout. You'll hear the positivity in his voice. We have a great time talking about all of the things from his early years through college and working his way up through various radio stations. On top of that, he's a great drummer and he is the leader of his band, The Rick Lewis Project. This was a fun interview for me. Rick has been a friend for quite some time and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Rick Lewis, man. How you doing? Glad you well, could join me. Hey, good to see you too, Joe. As you, as you could tell, as we were setting this up, <laughs> uh, I'm a borderline moron when it comes to this type of technology, so I'm trying my best. Hey, that's what happens when you're a big shot and they have everybody around you taking care of the technology. You just sit back and put yeah, the Yeah, I need an IT guy at my house. <laughs> All right, well, cool. So I just wanted to start from the beginning. We're going to just do a quick overview of where you started out. And uh, so let's just dig into it, man. Everyone's going to know by the time we start talking, at least your bio and and everything else. But, um, you know, I want to start from the very beginning and get a quick synopsis of where you grew up, where you were born, where you grew up. Start from there. Um, Yeah. So I was I was born in uh, outside of Detroit, Michigan, uh, in a steel town, blue collar steel town. Uh, Great place to grow up. Uh, just, you know, really, really good childhood, uh, a lot of great memories. Um, my dad worked for a, a chemical company there, and um, we lived there from the time I was born till sixth grade. And then my dad started moving around the country because he was kind of moving up up the ladder in his company. My dad was the first guy in our family to ever get a college degree. And so he kind of broke the mold of, you know, generations of the family. Uh, And I really admire him for doing that because he had five kids. He was going to night school to get a degree. I don't know how he did that, but he did it. And um, uh, once he got his degree, he started kind of moving up in the corporate world a bit. So uh, middle of sixth grade, I moved from Detroit to Columbus, Ohio. Middle of ninth grade, I moved from Columbus, Ohio to Naperville, Illinois, which is right outside Chicago. And then just before my senior year, we moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. So we moved around quite a bit. I went to, I think it was four different high schools in two different states. And I, I think that, um, you know, at the time was, uh, was a, a little bit traumatizing because you're always the new kid. But looking back on it now, I realized that it, it, there were some good things about it that, that kind of molded me into who I am today. Right. And, uh, and from what I, the, you know, you and I are friends and I know you a, a fair amount, but I have a feeling that um, you were a really good athlete, right? I was a really good athlete. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up, I always thought I wanted to be a pro athlete. And that was my dream. And that was my dream until I got into college. 
And then once you get into college with, with better competition, you know, that, that dream was quickly shattered and I realized that that wasn't going to come to fruition. But so that was about until I was about 19 years old, you know, until I realized that, uh, yeah, I'm a good athlete, but there's a lot better athletes than me out there. And um, it, it just wasn't in the cards for me. But yeah, growing up, um, you know, we played every sport uh, in Detroit, you know, every sport throughout the season, hockey, baseball, basketball, football. And uh, very, very competitive. We played, we played a lot of sandlot games back there that were very competitive, with some really good players. Uh, and it was, um, it, it was really cool to be in that type of competition where, where you have a, a real sense of pride for your street or your neighborhood, and you're playing against all these other neighborhoods. And, and it got, it got to the point where there'd be fights. You know, there'd be. Uh, um, a lot of a lot of people that uh, held grudges, you know, and that type of thing. And uh, like I said, it was kind of a tough part of uh, of the country uh, with all like blue collar, you know, people's kids that were really grinders and just really gave everything they did a hundred percent effort. Right. And I was one of those guys. <laughs> I know. I, I know from your mentality that uh, you weren't going to take any shit from anybody. So so how did you get to NAU and Flagstaff? Okay. How'd you pick that school out of, out of yeah. everything? Well, you like know? I said, we moved around a lot. So um, I, I was a good football player. And the fact that we moved right before my senior year uh, was not good for somebody that was hoping to move on and play college football and and get recruited and, and get into a good football program uh, because you know it's hard to follow somebody especially back then not today with social media you know it's a lot easier to get your profile out there to you know college recruiters and, and uh, coaches but back then it wasn't so the fact that I moved right before my senior year was a bit of a handicap for me but I had a good senior year, uh, and I was getting recruited uh, throughout the the state of Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky and places like that, that I wasn't really that interested in going to. You know, a lot of smaller schools, uh, a few mid-level schools. Uh, I, I did get uh, um, letters from, you know, some other schools around the country, too, that were bigger. But I didn't have the confidence at that point to want to, you know, leave, leave, uh, leave home and go, you know, halfway across the country uh, to try to play at a, at a bigger school. But anyway, NAU was one of the schools that, that did recruit me back then. I never even heard of NAU in Ohio. I mean, I, I'd never heard of the, heard the name before. So I ended up going to um, actually went to Miami university, Miami of Ohio, which was about an, hour maybe an hour and a half from my house and the reason I did that is because I had a high school girlfriend that I thought for me it was more important that I stay close to home you know so I could be around this high school girlfriend and um, Miami of Ohio had a really good football team at the time uh, they didn't recruit me so um, I just went there so I could be closer to my girlfriend three weeks in she broke up with me and you know the typical freshman story and so I couldn't wait to get out of that school. I mean, I just kind of, 
I, I waited one quarter and I quit and I came back home and tried to figure out what I was going to do next. And it, it, it was at that point that I really, I, I think is when I, I would say I became a man at that point because I had a, I had a bit of a, I guess you'd call it an awakening or epiphany back then as I was going through all of this pain, you know, of this, this high school heartbreak. Um, and I realized that, um, that I had, I was, I was blessed with a lot of things. I was, I was born at the right time, you know, born in the United States. Um, you know, I was athletic. I had, I had some intelligence. I had some musical ability. And I realized that I had all of these skills that were already given to me and that it was my job at that point to take all of these gifts and then try to make them better you know, try to enhance myself in every way and become uh, a better person all around. And so once I had that epiphany, I decided that uh, it was time to launch. And I remembered that NAU had recruited me. And I, like I said, I'd never even heard of NAU before, but Arizona seemed like a really exotic place to be, especially for a kid from Ohio. And so I um, decided that's where I was going to go. And, and, and what did you, yeah, and so what did you go there to do? Because it, it wasn't, you didn't go there for football, right? Yeah. What was your major? Did, oh, you did? go there for football, yeah. Oh, cool. And I had no major in mind at that point. Um, I, was, I was on a different kind of mission. I wasn't going there to learn or be educated out of a book. I was going there to experience life. And so the school part of it wasn't all that important to me. I had something else in mind, and that was just, uh, um, you know, finding out who I was, what I was fully capable of doing, challenging myself. And at that point, I would say I had no fear. I had no fear of failure. Uh, I had, I, I didn't even have a second thought that whatever I did wasn't going to work, that I would find a way to make it work. And I would find a way to be successful. And I, I just, I could, have, I could have done anything at that point. I literally could have done anything. But I didn't know what it was yet. But I had a feeling whatever I did, it was going to be great. And it was just this belief, just this faith that I had. So I went out there. You know, the football was a part of the, the, the package. But it was really just to find myself. Uh, and the football part of it ended up become, becoming a very minor part of the experience out there because I, I learned so much about myself and what I was capable of doing. And I had several majors when I was there. I just, I, you know, I could, I could never find anything that really interested me enough in school uh, until one day at the gym, uh, a guy told me that he had a, a show on the campus radio station. And he said, you should come down tonight, you know, sit on, on my radio show. I'd never even thought of it before. And I said, okay, that sounds cool. I'll do that. And I, so I, I, uh, I went in there that night and I really liked it. And he put me on the air. And, uh, I ended up getting my own show. I had found my thing, basically. Yeah. But what I went out there for with complete confidence that I would find, but not knowing what it was at the time, I did find it. 
And so, and how far was that into into that college year? Or like, was it the first year, second year? I want to say it was year two. Uh huh. And I was only there for two and a half years. So I would say probably right after my first year, I discovered that, and then I switched my major uh, to radio TV. And like I uh-huh. said, I got my own show on the campus station. I I I knew I was. I knew I was good at it right away. You know, I just found my thing, just like you when you found that you could play drums, right? Mm-hmm. You knew yeah. what your thing is. So I knew what my thing was. And so I also got, I, I was doing, um, um, I was a, 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 like a club DJ. They had nightclubs and stuff back then, you know, like disco kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I became a disco DJ and that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. And just once again, just developing my craft, basically, learning how to talk in front of people, learning how to put on a show, learning how to present. Um, And that just was just giving me more and more experience um, for my radio TV career that followed. Uh, So after after a year or so of doing that, you know, a lot of people were telling me, you know, a lot of people in Flagstaff were telling me, right? (laughs) No, my my group of people were, you know, they were saying, you know, Rick, you're really good at this, man. You should go to Hollywood and and you should, you should try to get into movies in Hollywood. And I was thinking, yeah, you know what? I should probably try that. (laughs) And so uh, once again, going back to the no fear thing, um, that's what I did. I ended up quitting NAU um, after two and a half years. Uh, this was this was after like right after the fall semester. So uh, going into the springs, a guy that was dry California for a job, and I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. I literally had five bucks. That's all I had. So I had no car. I had five dollars to my name. Everything I owned a pillowcase. I didn't. I didn't have any anywhere to go out there. I had no place to stay. Nothing. But this. This guy that I was driving out with had a van. So I thought, well, you know, if I get desperate, I could maybe sleep in this guy's van. So I went out there and um, I quickly got hired at a club out there in Orange County as a DJ. And um, not only did I get a job, they gave me room and board at, a, at this nice hotel because the club was at a hotel. So I got a job, room and board at the hotel. I got a company car. All my meals, all my meals paid for, and all my laundry and dry cleaning. Jeez! <laughs> so it was like I hit the lot of, you know. And um, I remember I called my dad up when I got out there because he was really mad I quit school. And I called my dad up when I got out there, and he uh, and he goes, "So what are you really doing out there, son?" He goes, "Are you in the mafia or something?" He goes, "He said no." Nobody gives a 21-year-old kid a company car. <laughs> I said, yeah, no, Dad, but they did. And so I had that, you know, so that gave me some uh, stability and some income. And I went out and got an agent. And um, uh, this agent set me out on my first, my very first audition was a movie uh, called Fast Break, which was a, a basketball movie. Gabe Kaplan was the star of it. and. Um, I tried out for, it was a very minor role in the movie. Basically just had to play basketball. 
So once again, going back to the athletic ability that I had, right? So uh, that was my tryout. And they went, okay, yeah, you got the part. So I ended up, I worked six weeks on this film every day for six weeks. And it, it didn't pay that much. I still remember what it paid. It paid 75 bucks a day. And I, at that point, I'd had a motorcycle. Um, I, I, I rode a motorcycle to the set every day in L.A. for six weeks. It never rained one time. Uh, lucky because at that point, I didn't have the car anymore. Because when I got this job, I had to quit the, the DJ job. And so that's how I had to get a motorcycle. Somebody loaned me money to get the motorcycle. Some guy just said, oh, you know, let me buy that for you. So once again, it's just like, it's like everything was just meant to be for me. And so that kind of got me started down the path of, of trying to be an actor. Uh, the movie was a, was a big hit. Uh, for those of you watching this now, you can still find that movie. It, it it pops up uh, like on on uh, TBS like once a year they play it. It, it. At the time, it was one of the biggest movies of the year that came out uh, because Gabe Kaplan was a big star back then. He was coming from Welcome Back, Cotter to that, and so um, I'll have to rent it now so that I can. Uh, and I have to figure out if I can find you somewhere in the film. Before we get past this point, though, I want to ask you what what gave you the foresight to to actually go and get an agent? How, how did that come to your brain to go, wow, I need to go get an agent? Well, I just knew. I just knew if you're going to be, if you want to try to get, in, you know, some TV or movies, you needed an agent. Okay. And so um, this guy, this guy got me in quite a few things. Uh, mostly, mostly extra roles, but I did pick up, uh, I got a, a couple of uh, national TV commercials. I got a Budweiser commercial. I got a Marantz stereo commercial. Um, I was in a ABC sitcom called making it with David Naughton, you know, just a minor role. I beat him up in the, in the show. I was like a, <laughs> tough, a tough guy in it. And they, and they, had to, uh, they didn't think I looked tough enough. You know, I had, I had blonde hair, kind of a surfer guy look. And so they sprayed my hair black with a, with oh my a gosh. Spray paint out of a can. They sprayed my hair black to make, it didn't even look like me. So I was kind of disappointed in that because if you watched it and knew me, you wouldn't even know it was me. Oh wow! But but a lot a lot of a lot of cool experiences along the way. Yeah, that's really cool. And and it's funny because you started out doing the radio thing, which is not in front of a camera, to being fully in front of a camera, and then come where we are today. Now you're well, actually, you do both now. So it's kind of cool because you got the experience, so you're comfortable in both situations. Yeah, and, and the way I got uh, decided to go back into getting into radio is um, this is this is really was a turning point in my life. Um, I was working at a liquor store, like all actors do. You're either a wait, you know, a waiter, or you work at a liquor store or something like that. Something that gave you the freedom to be able to go out and and audition and do whatever you needed to do. So I was working at a liquor store uh, in Anaheim, right down the street from Disneyland. And it was a Friday night, and that night, a show that I was on was on TV. So I brought a TV in to the liquor store because I wanted to, you know, obviously wanted to watch myself on TV. And, um, and in fact, it was that show making it that I just mentioned, the ABC sitcom. And so I brought the TV in, and I had it on the counter, 
And it was a Friday night on Harbor Boulevard in Anaheim, right down the street from Disney. And um, a couple of guys came in and, you know, put a 12 pack on the, on the counter. And, and I'm busy looking at the TV over here. And uh, I turned around, I said, you want anything else? They went, yeah, I think we'll go get another 12 pack. I said, yeah, that's great. And so I go back, I'm looking at the TV. One guy comes around behind me and the guy in front of me puts a gun to my head. So they're obviously, <sighs> yeah. And yeah, so, um, you know, it's, you don't know how you're going to react in a situation like that until it happens. And everything for me just slowed way down, almost like slow motion. And um, I didn't panic. I was, I was really calm. Um, I gave them the money out of the, um, out of the cash register, but I knew that they had some marked bills in there. And if you pull these marked bills, that triggers a silent alarm and the Anaheim PD comes because if you're getting robbed, that's what you did. I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to give them those bills because I knew that the alarm would, would trigger the police to come. And I thought if the police came, these guys would either hold me hostage or kill me. So you could see how, how clear I was thinking. So I didn't give them the bills and, and they said, you know, give us all the bills, you know, MF -er. And so I pull them out, I threw them in the bag. And now I knew that the cops had been alerted. So they're trying to get me to open the, uh, the safe. I couldn't open it. I said, hey man, I just work here. I don't have the combination. And they said, open the safe. And I said, I, I can't, man, I just work here. So they said, get in the back room, hands over your head. So I'm walking back like this. And that's when I thought, well, I might be in trouble now. And, um, and I'm, it's the same time, I'm still thinking, man, I hope nobody comes in that front door because they'll probably kill me, even the cops. Or the, if the cops come, they'll hold me hostage. If somebody else walks in, they probably kill me. This is a Friday night in Anaheim. Nobody comes in. So then they told me to lay on the floor, hands over my head, you know, like execution style. I'm doing that. And they're still trying to get, they, got, they found a crowbar and they're trying to open the safe. And so they, um, they couldn't get it open and they finally realized they better get out of there. And they told me to count to a hundred before I got up. They had to step right over me to get out. And it's, and I'm thinking they're either going to kick me in the head, shoot me in the back of the head, you know, who knows what they're going to do. Well, they, they didn't, you know, they stepped over me and ran out the door. I counted to three and I ran out the door because I wanted to see if I could uh, catch a license plate, but they were on foot. So they got away. And as I'm standing in the parking lot, five cop cars pull up. And at first they thought that I robbed the liquor store. And I quickly explained to them what had happened. And so anyway, long story short, uh, they never caught the guys. But the next day I got called into the corporate office. It was a U-totem. I don't know if you remember U-totems. Uh, they, they, they became circle Ks. Okay. Yeah. So a yeah. corporate liquor store mm -hmm. and i got called into the uh, uh the corporate office and the guy sat me down and he goes well you got robbed last night and i said yeah yeah he goes well you know what they got a lot of money i was like yeah he goes no they got like 227 dollars i said uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he goes uh he goes that's a lot of money and and I said, and, and, and I was, I was probably 23 years old, 22, you know, still just a kid. 
and this guy's got his suit on and everything. And, and I said, I said, have you ever had a gun pointed at your head? And he said, no, I haven't. And I said, listen, man, I said, I would have carried the safe out to a fucking car if I, that's, that's a quote, you know, a quote unquote. I told him that he goes, oh no, no, I understand. You know, I totally get that. But he goes, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> I got fired. Oh I got fired for being held up. And so, and I said, I said, why would I give up my life for a minimum wage job? I said, I would have give, I would have given them anything they wanted. He goes, no, and I get that, but we can't have you work here anymore. Now, I don't know. What that, I still don't know what that was about. Um, but I ended up realizing that I should probably get into radio. You know, that's really what I was born to do. You know, the acting thing, it wasn't my thing. Yeah. And so I ended up going back to school at Long Beach State because they had a really good radio program there. And I had a year and a half to go uh, to get my degree. And I got a degree at Long Beach State. They had two broadcast stations on campus, broadcast into Long Beach. It was a great experience. I did everything from a, a, a DJ shift to a sports talk show to a news. I was a news anchor. And I did play-by-play um, -play for the uh, Long Beach State football, baseball, basketball team. Um, and so I got a, a ton of great experience. Yeah, it turned out to be really, really good. That's amazing because I got on the radio at my college and I got the shitty 4 a.m., 4 to 7 a.m. slot or something. Like, the, like there was only drunks calling in and telling me to play this and that and I'd get in trouble because I, I wouldn't stick to the playlist that the, the program director gave me. So, yeah. That so, you, yeah, that's good. You did that. Oh, yeah. You know, it, was, it was a disaster. Yeah. Well, I got to do everything. But keep in mind, now, I, I'm a little older. So I'm probably 23, where everybody else there is 18 and 19. So I was more experienced. I've been around. Um, and so I, I really, you know, I don't want to say I was the best guy there, but I probably was, you know. And so they wanted, so they utilized me any way they could. Um, and it just turned out to be great. In fact, I, I, I'm not bragging, but I, I got nominated as Outstanding Graduate of the Program. And this is oh, cool. in me, a guy who never cared about school. I mean, I could care less about what I could learn at school or at least the classroom part of it. But once I got into radio, it was just my thing. I got straight A's. I got a 4.0 my last year and a half, you know, with, without really even trying. And when that happens, you know, you found your thing. You found yep. what you're supposed to be doing. You know, just yep. like I mentioned earlier with you playing drums, same thing. Yeah. So now, now you're, you're, you found it, you found what you love, you got your degree, you excelled in it. How, uh, you know, if we can just cover quickly the, the, the brief stop offs at the different stations around the country that you, you got work at and then finally landing in Colorado. So, yeah, um, I graduated, uh, in June, I sent out tapes for, um, I sent out tapes for, uh, you know, to be a DJ. And I also sent out sports tapes to do sports talk or be a sports reporter because I liked both. And I, and I didn't, you know, I, I thought I'd end up in sports, honestly, uh, like to be a sportscaster, but I didn't want to limit myself. So I, I, I sent out both 
And I, I got hired in August, two months later. Uh, I got hired at a radio station in San Clemente. So in the market still, uh, right on the beach. It was, it was pretty cool. Uh, the money wasn't very good. Um, I still remember what I was making back then. It was 1200 a month uh, to do mornings at this station in San Clemente. But I wasn't in it for the money. You know, I, I had, uh, I, knew, I knew what the goal was. Uh, I knew that the money would come at some point. This was just all about getting, getting um, you know, getting reps, as they say in football. You know, building up my chops. I knew I had to build up my chops. I didn't come out of college, you know, a good broadcaster. I, I came out of college, a, uh, a, a you know, a green professional broadcaster with a lot of potential. So I totally saw the big picture, and I knew I just had to get reps. And 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 every day, you get better and better and better. Just like playing an instrument, you just got to play it, and it, you know. It, Anybody can crack open a mic and talk on the radio, but it's the years of experience uh, that really, you know, fine tunes what you can do, just like playing drums or playing any other instrument. So, so for San Clemente, uh, I was there for a year and a half, and um, I started getting noticed by some of the bigger markets like San Diego. Uh, they had me working weekends in San Diego. Uh, at a radio station down there. In fact, they offered me the morning show down there. Um, and uh, that's a whole other story. I kind of blew that one. Um, well, I, I don't know how much time we have, but... <laughs> that's yeah. up to you. Listen, I, 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 I will stay here as long as... You, I have a lot I want to cover. Yeah, yeah. So if, well, if this is okay. a great... But if this is a great story, because the story with the five dollars and the and the yeah, well, anyway. I had never I had never heard, so that was a great story. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it was. A, I learned a lesson talking to uh, fans that would call the show. You know, a lot of times when records are playing, you'll kill time talking to people on the phone. And I happened to mention it to somebody who happened to call down the morning show guy at the station in San Diego and tell them. Oh, by the way, I heard this guy in San Clemente, uh, Rick Lewis, is taking your job. This guy's what? He went to the boss, told the oh, boss. Man. The boss called me. Goes, what? Who? Who did you tell? You had the morning show <laughs> here at the radio station. So anyway, he said I can't hire you. He said I had to deny it. I'm not going to be able to hire you. Anyway, that's a short version of the story. But so from there, um, from San Clemente, I ended up getting hired at. Um, a radio station in Anaheim after about a year and a half in, and it was quite a big step up. It was a union station. Uh, the money was really good. Uh, I had probably more than tripled or quadrupled what I was making, you know? Uh, so I was there for just a week and they changed the format. I got fired a week into the <laughs> a week into this job. And it was, uh, you know, like I said, it was a it was a pretty good step up. And like I was thinking, how did they not know that they were going to change the format a week ago when they hired me? It was pretty devastating. And so once again, I'm starting over. I ended up sending tapes out. This time I'm sending tapes out into LA. Three months later, I got hired at the biggest rock station 
in LA and probably the biggest rock station in the country. Uh, some of you may remember KMET, the Mighty Met. Those of you from, from LA certainly remember KMET. So, so one door closes, another one opens. I, I ended up like just jump, jumping over the mid-market you know, radio station right up to the very top. So in a year and a half out of college, I'm working at the top radio, top rock radio station in the country. It was named Billboard Magazine's major market AOR radio station. And so this was like a dream. Like, it's unbelievable. I was the youngest guy there. They had legendary radio personalities there. And um, just, just a blessing for me. You know, and I'm not the most patient guy anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I was ready for it, to be honest. I still had a lot, of, a lot of growing to do as a radio personality, but that certainly accelerated it. And then once again, uh, the pay was two or three times more than what it was going to be in Anaheim. So in a year and a half, I just like, I, I shot right to the top of, the, of my field. And, and, you know, you're probably thinking, well, you didn't pay your dues. You know, I, I guess maybe you could look at it that way. Like, I didn't have to go to a lot of shitty markets and, you know, and grind it out for 10 years before I got the opportunity. But it, that's just how it happened for me. But I never took it for granted. I never took it for granted because going back to my blue collar roots, I, I would call myself a grinder with talent. The talent's a blessing. The grind part, that's on me. I had nothing yeah. to do with the talent. But the grind part's on me. And I always thought that a grinder with talent is the, the person you would want to hire. Because that person is going to take what they got. And they're going to outwork everybody. And they're just going to get better and better and better. And so that's kind of how it happened with me. So there I was in LA. Yeah. Oh, you want to know how I got to Denver? Okay, so yeah, well, now I want to know how because, like, because that's where we're going to get into more of this other stuff. So, yeah, so I worked uh, in LA uh, for, see, I started in 81 uh, at San Clemente and I worked in LA till 1990, so nine years. Uh, I also worked at Power 106 in LA, which is still a, a big powerhouse radio station in LA because I ended up getting fired from KMET uh, twice. Um, yeah. Twice. Two times. Yeah. One time I just signed a three-year deal and they fired me three months later. They pulled the plug on the whole radio station. This was in 1987. They, they became the first smooth jazz radio station in the country. They, they just they pulled the plug on, on one of the greatest, if not the greatest rock radio station ever, turned it into smooth jazz, fired us all. So that's the third time I've been fired now since 1981. So I went and um, I, I realized then that I, to make the, the really big money and the biggest impact in the business, you got to do morning drive radio. So I stepped back down to that radio station in Anaheim that I was at early on in my career and started doing mornings there. And I did mornings there for three years and um, got fired again. So for no reason, you get fired in radio, not for doing anything wrong. It's usually a turnover of, 
uh, you know, upper management, middle management, uh, format changes, that kind of thing. So, so now I've been fired four times since I started in 1981. And it's really hard to get a job in radio. Every time you get fired, you think, oh, I'm probably never going to get hired again. You know, because it's, it's, it's really hard to do. And I had, I had so many chances along the way there in L.A. where I almost hit, like, the big time. Like, I, I got asked to guest host uh, PM Magazine, and I crushed it. I mean, I killed it. They called me later. They said, hey, we want to, we're thinking about making you the national PM magazine host. And I was probably, I was probably about 26 years old, 27. Wow. And they're like, I was like, yeah, cool. So they said, we got to get, uh, we got to get a reel. Uh, we got to get something more than this to show people nationally. Come on down. We'll do some tests, some test roll. And that day, uh, I got stuck in traffic driving from Orange County to Hollywood. It took me two and a half hours. I didn't know then that I'm hypoglycemic. So my blood sugar just tanked on the way down there. So I got there. I did the audition, and I was flat, totally flat, and I knew it. It was not a good audition. And the guy pulled me aside. He goes, Rick, he goes, what happened, man? You crushed it. When, when you guest hosted the show, he goes, this just wasn't very good. I'm like, yeah, man, I know. I said, I just, just not feeling it today. He goes, I can't show anybody this. And I said, yeah. Well, oh, gosh. Can we try it again? He goes, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I blew that one. Uh, Dick Clark called the radio station in L.A. that I was working at. Some, somehow he had seen me somewhere. And he said, hey, I, I, I want to meet this guy, Rick Lewis, one of your radio people. They gave me the message. I call back. They set up a meeting with me. I go to Dick Clark Studios in Burbank, and I never met Dick, but I met his right-hand man. We had about a 90-minute meeting, and he told me that they were going to develop a bunch of shows around me. And so, um, of course, at this point, I realized not to get your hopes up in Hollywood or in show business <laughs> because a lot of times it just never happens. So I was right. feeling good about it, but I didn't get my hopes up at that point. I'd already, and I'm maybe 27 years old, 28. I already knew better than to get my hopes up. And so uh, we had some conversations on the phone after that about different shows and different show ideas for about three, four months. And then they went dark on me. Nothing. Nothing ever happened again. I never heard from them again. So anyway, I had all these near misses or near hits along the way. And so in 1990, uh, a radio guy in L.A. named Fraser Smith, and once again, anybody from L.A. would know that name. He was, uh, he's one of the legendary guys out there. He was from Detroit, and he told me, he said, hey, man, he goes, I just got offered a half a million dollars to do mornings in Detroit. Uh, and this was in the 80s. So translate that into today's money. That's a lot of money. Right. He said, a lot he said of you can make big money in some of these Midwest towns doing mornings. I went, really? Okay. It's good to know. So I contacted a guy that I knew in our company that I, I still work for. And um, they offered me uh, 
an afternoon show back in Cincinnati, which is where I used to live. I thought that was too big of a step down in market size. I turned it down. Uh, a, a show, a station in Detroit um, told me that they were very interested in hiring me uh, to do a show there. And so I went back and, you know, interviewed. I took my life back. We were looking at houses and neighborhoods. Never happened. Um, and, and anybody that's in show business, you you know, and Joe, you, you've been you've been in the entertainment business a long time. You know that this is just how it goes. All of these big yeah. things get dangled and that most of the time they don't happen. But um, I, I knew at that point that, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to leave the market if the right opportunity came along. So the guy from who offered me the job at Cincinnati got back to me and he, he named off about three or four other markets that they were willing to hire me in. And Denver was one of them. And I'd never really been to Denver before. And he said, hey, we got this comedian uh, named Floorwax. He's really funny, but he doesn't get the radio business. He doesn't understand it. He needs a really good partner to make it work. He'd already, he'd already had a show here in Denver. He was on the air with another guy. And he said, the station's losing money. Uh, they're, they're not ranked even in the top 20. But he said, if, if you can go there and turn it around, he said, you can write your own ticket. And I kept thinking back to what Fraser Smith told me about how this could all work out financially. Sure. So um, my wife and I flew out and we liked the city. Uh, I thought it, it was worth taking a chance for a year. Once again, back to no fear. I left the LA market. And, I, and I, by the way, I did get, after getting fired there, I did have another radio show, another radio station I was working for back there. So it wasn't like I was unemployed. But I, um, I told my wife, I said, even if this only lasts a year with Floor Wax, we'll go somewhere else, meaning me and Floor Wax. And we'll keep going somewhere until it hits. Because I knew, I knew that what we had was really special. And it ended up, here we are 30 years later, uh, I'm still doing the same radio show. It's unbelievable. And uh, it's been just an incredible run. And I'd never take it for granted because of how I started my career, you know, getting fired four times in the first nine years. I, I wake up every day just counting my blessings. And I also realize it doesn't matter how good you are, how big you are, how much money you make, they could fire you in a second. And I've never taken that for granted. Yeah, I know that about you. I know that you're grateful every day for what you have and what you've accomplished. And, and that's why this is a special interview for me, because we we think along the same lines. And uh, and, you know, that's what they say. Right. You say you are. Uh, what is it? The, the quote is something like you are the sum of the, the, the five people that you associate yourself with or hang around with. Or, right. Or whatever. So, yeah, yeah I, I we all it. attract, yeah. uh, you know, the energy we put out, we attract same energy and so that, that's how you and i became friends you know you you yeah. kind of attract who you are or what you what you put out there yeah yep so you get to denver and they get rid of this other guy that floor waxes with and you step in and you guys create this this lewis and floor wax show that was on the air for how many years well floor wax and i did 23 years together and then, okay. uh, unfortunately for Floorwax, he ended up quitting the show. 
and uh, he's been gone ever since. So he's been gone for seven years now, and the show continues to go on. The show is still very successful. Uh, you know, big revenue maker, big ratings. Uh, it's amazing. I can't believe it's lasted this long. I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. And that must have been a lot of pressure right when that whole thing happened where floor wax was going away. You were still handed the show to say, let's keep it going, make the best of it. And I'm sure at that point, everybody's eyes were on you going, okay, can he pull this off without having this secondary person with him on the air to exchange that banter with and all that other stuff? And I know listening to it after that, that it just, it just kept shooting upward. It just was amazing. Yeah. And still, I kind of thought maybe it was over here in Denver uh, when he had left. In fact, I, I hired an agent outside, you know, the more I had a New York agent, you know, a national agent thinking that I would probably be looking for another job. And I looked at it once again, as an opportunity, you know, like, all right, this is the universe telling me, Hey, it's time to move on. Um, floor wax left in January and by that summer, the radio show was number one in the morning. And so then they, the company was coming back to me talking about a new contract. And so it ended up working out where I, they signed me to a a new contract. I don't think they thought it was going to work. I thought, I think they thought the show was over, you know, and this will be it. Um, I, I think everybody was surprised including myself, but I ended up retooling the show, kind of reinventing it, reinventing myself. Um, I looked at it as an opportunity to just get better. You know, I had a band with Floor Wax as well uh, that was real successful. I looked at that as an opportunity to, uh, as kind of a rebirth uh, and and the approach that I took. And it took a lot of work. It was a lot of work with the radio show and the band to get mm-hmm. it actually to the level, you know, we were before, and in some cases, even better. Right. So the timeline is you start with Floor Wax, what year? 1990. And then it ends January of what year? Well, 23 years later. So uh, that would be 2013 is when he walked off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you picked up, man. You just, just, it was, it's amazing. Um, so I know that the list could be huge, but let's just, for the sake of keeping it condensed, I know just a few times you invited me into the studio when I've been in town or I've listened to it from being in Arizona. What's the top five most famous people you either interviewed live in the studio or remotely on like Collins over the phone? I know it's ridiculous because it, the list is probably hundreds. You know what? It is. It's, it's a really hard question to answer. Did any of them make you nervous? How's that? Maybe that would pinpoint them. Somebody like being really over the top, well-known. I, I've literally interviewed almost everybody you can think of. <laughs> Joe. Know. You know, even uh, when I was in LA, I, I worked for Westwood one and my job was to go get, to, I, to do probably seven to 10 interviews a week of either movie stars or rock art, you know, rock right. stars, singer songwriters. So 
Uh, I was interviewing seven to 10 people a week for a couple of years out there. I interviewed everybody. When somebody's new album would come out, I'd go meet them at a hotel and in their hotel room, you know, and interview them. Um, so that it's all kind of a blur to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. If you started naming names, I could, I could tell you, oh yeah, yeah. I could tell you a story about yep. it. Uh, and that Westwood One gig did make me a really good interview. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, I, it made me really know how to interview people and how to, how to listen to people. Right. Instead, of, instead of having a list of questions uh, and you're asked, you asked, you know, question number seven off your list while they're talking, you're already looking at question number eight. You just let, you just got to let it flow, you know, and, um, and just go with the conversation because a lot of these people, they, they, they're not that comfortable being interviewed. Um, it's not their thing. Now, some of them are great. Like David Lee Roth. That's a guy I've interviewed many times. All you got to do is turn the mic on and let them go and just try to guide it, you know, and try to, hopefully you get from point A to point B to point C without losing your license. <laughs> you know, guys like that, Ted Nugent, same thing. Right. Ted Nugent, you just let them go. Right. But you try to guide them, you know, along the way, you try to get what you want out of them. Guys like that are really easy, but a lot of them, they really have very little to say. A lot of, a lot of uh, these, you know, rock stars are somewhat introverted. Movie stars, really introverted. Movie stars, you take away a script, they don't have a whole lot to say. Yeah. You know, they're always, you know, they're going off, everything they do is off a script. And you've seen some of these guys on the talk shows, you know, it takes a really good interviewer, Jimmy Fallon, a David Letterman, guys like that to bring them out. And so you learn how to do that. There, I, 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 I have so many, I, I really. I know, I know, it's a, it's a, it's we, a bad question. Was, <laughs> we, we, we could do this for hours. I know, I, mean, for, I know. Yeah. All right, so. Now you are currently on the Fox 103.5 on weekdays, and you've been doing that alone since the spring of 2013, correct? January 2013. That's that's what's left. So on top of that, you recently, well, I don't, I say recently only because in this industry, you know, a couple of years is still recent, but you is it true that you're the color commentator for the Denver Broncos? I just didn't want this to get it true. wrong. I didn't Joe, want to say yes, and, and just for yes, the audience is. sake, because I didn't even though I watch a, a shit ton of football, I didn't really understand what a color color commentator was. So if you can quickly, you know, explain what that means, because I don't want to I don't want to give it the wrong description. OK, I, I um I'd been doing play-by-play, which is a different role, for a long time, going back to when I was in college. Uh, I'd been doing play-by-play uh, of uh, high school and college games uh, for, I got back into it at least 10, maybe 12 years ago. And I was working for Comcast here in Denver doing games play-by-play. So it wasn't like the, this whole thing of being at the booth was foreign to me. Um, so four years ago, uh, Ed McCaffrey was the color commentator on the radio on the Broncos flagship station. Uh, Ed McCaffrey, great football player, uh, Denver Bronco legend. And he, um, for some reason, had to miss a game. And so my boss called me like on a Tuesday 
And he said, hey, you know, Ed can't do the game Sunday in Jacksonville. What do you think? You think you can do it? I was like, yeah. Right. Yeah, I can do it. No fear. Right. Uh, and I'd never been a color commentator before, but I understood the role because I'd done play by play so much. So I prepped for it really hard and uh, did the game and uh, it went really, really well. And uh, so much so that I thought, you know, you know, if Ed ever decides he doesn't want to do this anymore, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring and see if I can get that job. And that happened the, the following spring. Uh, Ed McCaffrey decided that he wanted to spend more time with his kids. He's got, at the time, I think he had two kids in the NFL and one in college. Or um, uh, Christian McCaffrey, his son, is one of the best running backs in the NFL. So he he decided he wanted to watch him play more and didn't have time to do this. So I did get the job. Uh, and so the the color commentator is a is a different role than play by play. The color commentator has a very short window to try to color up the broadcast. Now, keep in mind, this is radio, not TV. It's different on TV. On TV, um, you don't have to explain what happened because everybody can see it. On the radio, you have to paint the picture. And so the play-by-play guy will tell what happened on the play uh, and in some cases even break it down. Uh, And then I have about maybe 10 seconds in between plays to say something that he didn't already say that actually adds something to the broadcast and moves it forward and kind of resets the next play. And so it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. I I always thought play-by-play was easier. Uh, I still do. I think for me, play-by-play is easier to do than the the color role. Um, So it was a bit of a learning curve on it. Um, but I, I really, really enjoy it because it's, it challenged me for the first time in a long time, uh, not only with the prep that's involved, and it's a lot of prep, but the speed of the broadcast, um, is, is, is such that, um, you really got to be on your game because it's moving really fast and you got one shot. So it's like, you're, uh, Nick Valenda. You know, when you're on a tightrope walking across a canyon, there's no safety net. You, you got to be on your game. You got to be super focused. Yeah, and it has to be and that's what super I like. delicate balance between knowing when he's actually done saying what he's going to say in the play-by-play, and where you you guys aren't constantly stepping on on top of each other, and then there's room for the next play to come in or whatever. I I hear it. I just I I'm baffled at how it gets done so cleanly. Yeah, and my partner Dave Logan is one of the best in the business. He, he, he he's up in the upper elite one percent of play-by-play guys in the world. And so the fact that he's so good, of course, he could cover up any mistake that I might make, or if I if I, you know, stub my toe a little bit, he can completely cover it up in a very smooth way, which I'm sure he's done for me many times, you know, to make the broadcast sound good. You know, uh, the fact that I've been in broadcasting so long, you know, well over 30 years, what, 30, 39 years, you know, um, that I, I'm able to make a broadcast sound good. Now, I figure out a way to go make ahead. it sound good. Yeah. So, so just as we're talking about I, this, see how I step yeah. right on top of you. <laughs> see, it's like, so um, 
Is it true? And I don't know if if where I heard this, but is it true that you are the only broadcast person doing these NFL games that is not an 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 ex NFL player? Yeah, on TV, I don't think there's anybody. Certainly on, um, I don't think there's anybody doing NFL games on TV that wasn't a player. Uh, there may be one on the radio, but I don't know who that would be. There's only 32 teams, so you got 32 broadcast teams doing it on radio i i don't think there is a guy doing color that didn't play in the nfl most of the play-by-play guys are guys like me that are broadcast you know guys you know experienced broadcast guys uh we kind of flipped the formula in, in our broadcast because dave logan played 10 years in the nfl so you got a play-by-play guy that played 10 years in the NFL. And then me being a broadcaster that I, I know the game, I understand the game. I, I played a little bit of, uh, of football myself. So I totally get it. Um, but it is, it's, it's pretty easy. And you're having to do, what is it, eight away and eight home? Or is it? Yeah, eight home, eight away, and then uh, four preseason games. So 20 games a year. Last year we did 21 because we had the Hall of Fame game. Right. And what's the most grueling yep. conflict with the rate that, you know, the morning drive time show now with you having to do the football games? What what days are the hardest for you? Is it Mondays because of the Sunday game or? Well, if we play a game like uh, on a Sunday night or Monday night or Thursday night on the road, I, I don't work the next morning on the radio because we won't get in until four o'clock in the morning, sometimes five o'clock in the morning. So I take the morning show off. I do two, two radio shows a day. I don't know. I don't think you're nope. aware of it, but I, I'm doing two live radio shows a day. So I do the morning show on the Fox actually from six to 9. AM. Then from nine to noon, I do a talk show on KOA, which is the Broncos flagship station with Dave and Kathy Lee, who's on with me on the Fox show. So I'm doing six hours of live radio a day. God, I had no idea. Uh, that also, also pretty, pretty unheard of in a major market. Yeah, I had no idea that you were doing that extra stuff. I, I had only known about the yeah. the morning show. Um, so wow. Well, this is why you don't hear from me much anymore. I know. I know. This is why I'm <laughs> excited that I have you right now, and I can't let you go until I get through yeah. a lot of this stuff. Um, so let's uh, let's bounce over to you know you and I have this mutual kinship in, in playing drums. So, uh, um, when did you start playing? And, and we skipped over it a little bit when you're talking about you and floor wax and having your band, which was the groove hogs. And now you have the Rick Lewis project and, um, you run the band and, and you and I have this same sort of leadership role in our bands. Uh, but when did you start playing drums? Yeah, um, I started playing drums at 17, I believe. Uh, I had played um, piano when I was a, a little kid, uh, like classically trained, you know, uh, lessons, piano recitals, all of that. I probably played piano for about three and a half years. I never liked it. My, uh, my mom was kind of forcing it on me. I would have much rather been outside playing, you know, football or baseball or whatever. And so that was always the uh, dilemma for me. And I, I was pretty good. And I picked it up pretty quick. You'd read music and all of that. Um, and then she finally, uh, 
she she gave up and said, okay, you can quit piano and uh, um, and do whatever you want. You know, I, I'd always wanted to play drums. I was always interested in drums, but my mom and dad would never get me a, even a snare drum. Not you know, we had five kids in the family. We didn't you know we didn't have enough money for to, to go out and buy me a drum kit. So um, I just kind of put that on the back burner. But at seventeen. Somehow, my younger brother got a drum kit. I don't know. I don't remember how it happened. I, maybe my mom and dad gave it to him for a Christmas gift or whatever. And I started playing drums at seventeen, and I, I realized right away, like, oh, you know, I can I can kind of play these. And um, so I, I really took a great interest in it, and I played a lot. I'm self-taught. As you know, I uh, played along to uh, records, you know, put headphones on and just play the songs. And and so I learned how to play. I think I learned how to play musically. You know, um, I never took any lessons. And so for me, I play like the record because that's how I learned how to play. And like I say, I always tell people I don't have chops. I have a chop. <laughs> I got one. <laughs> You know, I can play a song. <laughs> I can play a groove, right? That's all I got. I can play a groove, but you have um, more than that. Trust me, I've seen you play. Well, I don't. But I, I, um, I played until uh, I was twenty-one. Uh, when I went to NAU, we'd go to the music room, me and a bunch of guys, you know, and we we jam in the music room. I remember I played once at a country bar in Flagstaff. You know, it took a lot of beer yeah. to do that. But I did it. <laughs> Um, and I just, I just loved it. But then when I moved to LA to be an actor, I quit playing drums and I didn't pick up a, a pair of drumsticks again until I was probably 40 years old. So almost a 20 year span of not wow. playing drums. Um, and then when I was 40, I got it, I got interested again and I bought myself a drum kit and started to try to get up to speed. And um, we formed a band pretty soon after that. Uh, that was mm -hmm. the, the Groove Hogs band. And, and with the connections I have here in town, you know, I was able to hire the best musicians around here. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty good band. And, and because of who we were on the radio, and Floor Wax was in the band too, because of who we were in the radio and the, the high profile that we had, we were getting really good gigs. Uh, the first gig we ever played was at Red Rocks. Uh, Sorry, Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know, it's like, <laughs> man. Sorry. Yeah, we opened for the Doobie Brothers and uh, CCR at Red Rocks, and it was just amazing. And I was working as hard as I could to get back up to speed, you know, just practicing every day and having had no formal training you know it was strictly just instinctive you know trying to get better and once again just playing the music just trying to play songs you know uh, for some reason i got a really good natural feel for song structure uh it's so that that that's a gift and and being able to play drums is probably it might be my favorite thing i do right now is maybe playing music which is saying a lot because I do a lot of really yep. cool things. The Groove Hogs got to play big shows, man. We played 
we opened for ZZ Top and James Brown and Leonard Skinner and Ted Nugent and Def Leppard. We got to open probably seven shows at Red Rock. That's amazing. We opened for The Who at the Pepsi Center. That was amazing. Uh, back in 2007 or eight, it was The Who and The Pretenders, the Pepsi Center. So we played some really And you do it right, too, because you have a but, drum tech, and I don't. So <laughs> you just roll up with your stick bag on your shoulder, and you're like, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the whole breaking down oh. the drum kit thing and love on it, that's, one, that's the big downside of, of playing drums. But luckily for us, you know, we, the band gets paid pretty good for doing yep. these gigs. And so and I can afford to pay my band members yep. really well. You know, yep. I've told you. Uh, they get paid really well. And so I can also afford to have uh, yep. drum tech. I can do all of that for yeah, you. As well. So I'm not in it for the money. No, I, uh, <laughs> this has nothing to do with money for me playing music. No, I know. And it's, it's too bad. I know right now it's like a, a kind of a, a tough question, but you guys are still doing local gigs around town. Like when things we get on the other side of what's happening now um, with COVID-19, you guys will be out doing, you know, your normal festivals that you, you normally just play like festivals and, and things, right? you're not yeah we have um this my new band the rick lewis project um started in 2013 so seven years in already and uh once again uh, hired the best musicians around here uh and we played some big gigs too we've we've opened for uh leonard skinnard and uh you know uh, many other people like that we did a show with ziggy marley who i mean we were the only non-reggae band on the lineup and pulled it off we ended up switching like four or five of our songs into reggae songs. I'd never played reggae before and we pulled it off and it was, it's, so it's, it's really, really cool. But yeah, we have a residency at a casino here so that we can play anytime we want pretty much. Uh, so we play there about every six weeks in the summer. We play a lot of uh, festivals and we do still uh, support some big acts. We got a show in August with government mule on the books hopefully we'll oh, be able cool. to play it you know that type of thing um and and others were i mean we were just in the process of really rounding out our schedule for 2020 when all of this coronavirus hit uh hopefully we can come out of it um yeah you know, who knows I, I i think i think we will i think by at least july i would think we'll be able to start playing live shows again and people will be able to start going to concerts again. You know, I'm optimistic yep. about that, but yep. who knows? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so this is something I don't know if I've ever asked you or we talked about, um, and I only have a few more things, so I, I'm not going to keep you much longer, but uh, if you had the opportunity with all you know about music and all the musicians you've made and all of the conversations that you've heard, if you had ever had the chance to become a professional touring drummer over being the, you know, the radio personality that you are and, and all of that, would you ever have chosen that, that lifestyle? Wow. That's a good question. I know you love performing in I, front I, of people. I, when I watch you play, I, I'm like, you, you know, you are so in your element doing it. 
And, uh, and you're a great front man when, when, you know, anytime that I've jumped in behind the drums and you've run up to the front of the stage, like, you know, you're a great front man as well. So I just was like, man, I wonder if he ever goes, God, if I had only started that earlier and, and, and my path had taken me that direction. That's a great question. I have no regrets, but I do think that looking back on it now, I wish I would have focused more on music than sports because sports was my whole world back then. And now I realize that for most people, your athletic career is over and after high school. And if you're lucky after college, very, very few get to play professionally or make a living out of playing sports. Looking back on it now, I wish I would have stuck to the piano. You know, I told my mom that recently. I said, I wish you would have forced me to continue to play just to establish, you know, that side of me. I wish, you know, and I, I did I did discover drums young enough at 17 that I, I could have been probably a pretty darn good drummer by now. Uh, good enough to tour with a big band. I don't know if I put enough work into it. Uh, to be that good. I, I think I have I have what's inside of me to be that good, but I haven't put in the work. You know, because of everything else I do, you know, I'm I wasn't a guy that could sit down and and, and play drums for 10 hours a day, which a lot of guys do. And you might have been one of them. I was a guy who could sit down and play drums for an hour a day. And so that's what I did, you know, for you know 20 plus years, I would play for an hour a day. That's all I had time for, you know, with a family and uh, uh, an established radio show and everything else that I was doing. But boy, you know what? <sighs> if I could, I, I I sometimes say, man, if if like Earth, Wind and Fire <laughs> would hire me to go out and tour because I, I love playing funk music. That's my thing. If I could be the drummer in Earth, Wind and Fire on one tour, man, it'd be hard to turn that down really hard to turn that down but but you know a lot of musicians um, a lot of these successful musicians that we all know and love they've had a lot of hardships along the way and a lot of it's drugs and alcohol almost every one of these successful bands goes through that you know what i don't know man i don't think i'd change anything you know look at look you know my friend uh, danny seraphin who is the drummer from chicago yeah longtime drummer from chicago and I just watched a documentary on the band. Uh, I think it was on uh, Netflix. And drugs and alcohol, once again, you know, uh, Terry Kath ends up killing himself. Maybe accidentally, maybe not. But you watch every documentary on Netflix about these successful rock bands. It's drugs and alcohol that takes them, it's almost all of them down. I don't know if it would be worth it to have to go through that type of thing. but. Uh, the, oh, I did take one lesson on drums, and that was Danny Seraph. I told you that, right? Yeah, yeah. Danny Seraph. <clears throat> Danny Seraph and came. This is my basement yeah. right here that we're sitting. Yeah, he's in. a sweetheart. Uh, Danny Seraph and came over and spent a weekend, I think, or two or three nights at my house. And I got two drum kits set up in my house. And he goes, "Hey, man, let's let's go down and jam a little bit." He goes, "I, I want to see if, if I can help you." And I was pretty intimidated. But once again, no fear. So we sat down and we played together for like 90 minutes together, side by side. You know, he'd play a lick and I'd try to copy it. 
you know, then he'd play a groove and I'd jump in on it. And then he showed me a couple things. And after about 90 minutes, you know, we stopped. He said, he said, you're a good player. And this was a long time ago. This is probably almost 15 years ago. He goes, he said, he said, you're a good player. He goes, but I can tell you don't have, you don't, he said, I can tell you, you don't think you're a good player. Oh, wow. He goes, you should know you're a good player. And he goes, you have good time. He said, you have a great sense of time, great feel and great groove. And he said, take that with you every time you play and realize that every musician wants a drummer that has those three things, time, feel, groove. He said, you got it. He said, believe me, that's what all these guitar players want yeah. as a drummer like that. He said, they don't want drummers that are playing all over the song and doing drum fills, you know, every break. And he said, take that and be confident that you have that. And that really helped me a lot. So that one lesson from Danny Serafin really meant a lot to me. And it gave me the confidence to, you know, be myself yeah. and, play, and play like I do, which is my one chomp. I've got the one. I got the one. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It grooves. It feels great. Oh, that's all right, man. All right. So what's next for Rick Lewis? What's his, anything that is, uh, is super exciting that you can talk about? Um, or, you know, I know you got a shit ton on your plate. I don't even know how you sleep. Um, but you're just wondering if there's anything new you wanted to talk about before I let you go. I've gotten really good at, at living in the moment and living in the now. Yep. I really don't think down, that far down the road. Uh, I, I, I don't live in the future very much. Um, and so I really just take it day to day. And especially what we're going through right now you know, in the world, mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't. I, I mean, we can only just live right now. Yep. You know what I have right now? I have everything I need right now. Everything is good right now. If you start thinking too far down the future, too far down the road, it gives you anxiety because you can't control it. You know, fear, uh, anxiety is fear-based. And so I've got a very, very busy schedule. I'm right on the front lines here, uh, being on, on the radio, doing two shows a day, uh, talking about COVID-19, trying to give people, you know, uh, a feeling of hope and optimism, a diversion, a form of entertainment they can take their mind away from all the bad news um, and just trying to do the right thing. You know, um, like I said earlier, this is what I was born to do and I'm doing it at a very tough time in, in history right now. Uh, I'm optimistic it will get better and I truly believe it will. Uh, as far as me personally, I just want to stay healthy. I want my family to stay healthy and, uh, and keep doing good work no matter what it is. I'm blessed to be able to do a lot of things at a very high level from playing music to doing two radio shows a day to uh, calling the Denver Broncos games with a legend like Dave Logan and just trying to be a better person. You know, the way I'm, I'm looking at this, um, this situation that we have right now is we're being called to, to use this to be better people. You know, there's a portal that we're all going through right now. We're all going through it together. And it's and we need to rise and shine. We need to be better. So when we come out the other side, we're better people, and in the world is better. And that's what I'm focused on right now. Just trying to be the best I can be every day. And as hard as this is, 
I want to make sure that I'm a better person when we get to the other side of it. So that's what's in the future for Rick Lewis, just being a better person. Well, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, It's an honor to have you on the show. I know you're busy as hell. Um, Can you just once again, give the the two shows that you do in the times so that everyone knows? Yeah. For anybody, anybody interested, you can listen uh, outside of Denver on the iHeartRadio app, which is free. I do a morning show six to nine Denver time on 103.5 The Fox. That's kind of a, a more of a raucous entertainment-based music show. Um, and then from nine to noon, I'm on KOA, which is a big, giant AM radio station that's the home of the Denver Broncos and the Colorado Rockies. And it's a more of a news talk format. Uh, we do kind of a lifestyle show. Now, during this you know coronavirus thing, pretty much all we're talking about right now, uh, I do that at six to noon. Uh, Denver Broncos games uh, are on the Denver Broncos radio network. They're on you know, hundreds of radio stations once the season starts. Also on Sirius XM. Uh, you can hear the games on there. Um, my band, I've got a band Facebook page. Uh, it's Rick Lewis Project. So go to, uh, go to Facebook and look up Rick Lewis Project. I've, uh, I've got a, a whole slew of performance videos up there from shows going back years. Uh, you'll get a good idea what the band's all about. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at one, the number one, Rick Lewis, uh, if you're interested. And and right back at you, Joe, you know, you've always been a source of inspiration for me, too. You know, uh, you're a great drummer. I'm just a decent drummer. But, you know, I wish I could play like you. And I look up to you not only as a drummer, but as a man. I see what you're doing. I, I, I follow you on social media. I see what you're trying to accomplish we're a lot alike in many ways and you are a grinder with talent you know just keep doing what you do thank you so much man i really appreciate you i love you and uh stay healthy and we will talk soon love you too joe thank you thanks well thank you so much for listening to the joe costello show i'm glad you came back i would appreciate it if you would subscribe if you haven't already If you have a chance to rate the podcast, that would be awesome. Five stars are always welcomed. And if you have time, it would be great if you could review the podcast and give me your honest opinion. Thanks again so much. I appreciate you all. Have an amazing day.